When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ken Absock, and this is Daily Thrones here on Anchor. Quick look at the world of ice and fire. We've been talking about our favorite scenes and moments from Season 5 all this week, and uh, we'll have some more of that to come. But I, I was thinking, I was doing some free-form thinking, which is always dangerous. And, well, it is uh, an interesting week. It's been an interesting month uh, as a Star Wars fan and a Star Wars uh, media pundit. Uh, building up to Last Jedi and seeing it and now uh, with what's going on with people's uh, interpretation of the film, their feelings for the film, what they liked, what they didn't like. Some passionately love the film. Uh, I'm in that category, I would say. And then uh, we, uh, we have some people who don't like the film and are very vocal about it. And thanks to social media, you can be very, very vocal and sometimes you can be very very vile and get away with it and it's just this this really odd energy right now in the star wars fandom which is unfortunate because usually it's uh, such a fun fandom just go to a star wars celebration and i proudly go to those and uh, have been very fortunate to go to the last uh, two of the last three and there's a lot of joy there a lot of fun it's a great time uh, to to get out there and just surround yourself with uh, Star Wars fans and people who have been affected by the property. But seeing what's happened with a director and a writer and a, f- a company making some bold decisions with their characters and uh, and and the plot and the direction of the story and the, the fuss it's caused, uh, some of the criticism, I understand it, even though I love the movie. Some, I just don't understand it. I also don't understand the, the anger that comes from it. It got me thinking, of course, of Game of Thrones and what we are soon to be facing. We'll be here before you know it, even though it is in 2019. That is season eight and the end of this show. And... The end of the story, even though the books will be coming out and George R. R. Martin has a way to uh, tell the story uh, as he sees fit with all his uh, wonderful, sometimes exhaustive details. So he'll have a chance to tell the story he wants. But the show's finishing up his story. We'll know the end. I don't think he's going to dramatically change the end. He has told them uh, it's how to get there and how we get there that is uh, up in the air. And we've seen the show go in some different directions, kill some characters that are alive, keep some characters alive that are dead, uh, not bringing characters, have different plot points, and you hear a lot of, uh, well, I don't know if Jon Snow would do that. There's only one time I've really felt. Sometimes in the Battle of the Bastards, uh, Jon Snow goes a little wonky, but there's only one time where I really felt, well, this is a weird situation, this is something that seems very plot devising. that would be uh, the, the mission north of the wall, even though I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it, but it, there's some level of it that didn't make sense, and I kind of wonder, was it supposed to not make sense? Was it supposed to be just a stupid decision by, uh, by that team heading north of the wall? And... A lot of people were upset that more people should have died because it was a stupid plan and only Thor Samir passes away. It just got me thinking, are we ready? Are we ready? Can we brace for impact for the end of season eight? There is going to be so many podcast contents. Me, I'll be part of it. You guarantee it. But there are going to be so many think pieces, hate pieces, love pieces, puff pieces, 
all you can think of about the end of the show. And if it does not live up to everyone's expectations, book readers, book and show fans, show fans only, casual fans, hardcore fans, the obsessed fans like us, I'm definitely in that category. The ones who just kind of take things as it is and enjoy it as they as they are. And, you know, there's a part of me that that is uh, that's me there. Uh, season seven. Yeah, I got a lot of. I understand a lot of the problems people had, but I really liked the season. I really liked what happened. Are we ready, though? What is going to happen? Because, you know, as I said, you cannot. The the goal is to make everyone happy. Uh, you, you, you just can't. I just can't. And whether some of the big decisions in the ending come from George R. R. Martin yourself, himself, you know that's not going to matter. It's not going to matter to a lot of people. They're going to be unhappy with it. They're not even. Thinking, they're going to think George gave him another ending, and the show changed it. It's going to be an interesting time. I'm looking forward to the show ending because I want to wrap this up. I want to see it, and we're going to still have other Game of Thrones stuff to talk about: a spinoff series, prequel series, maybe a movie. Who knows? And definitely the books still forthcoming. So, with all that there, are we ready? Are we bracing for impact? the end of this show the last jedi's taught us one thing this week it might be a bumpy ride hey ken so the next scene i wanted to talk about comes from the lowest rated episode of the series from season five unbent unbowed and unbroken and to be honest i do understand why it's the lowest rated but there is a scene i really did like in it and it's before all the bad stuff happens and it's when sans is taking a bath uh before the wedding and miranda's helping her miranda's trying to like goad her and taunt her and tells her about all these girls Ramsey had that disappointed him and what happened to them. And Sansa picks up on the fact that Miranda's in love with him. And she says to him, she says to uh, Miranda, she stands up for herself and says, I'm Sansa Stark of Winterfell. This is my home and you can't scare me. And of course what happens after is absolutely horrific. It's horrible. But I did like that moment of seeing her stand up for herself. Yeah, Eric's talking about Sansa Stark in Season 5, and specifically that episode, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken, which uh, still is the lowest rated, probably the most controversial. Understandably so. The spousal rape of Sansa Stark was something hard to watch at best. Did it need to be in there? Well, there's a different version of the books we know. Uh, just a, a weird, maybe a weird decision, the way it was shot. A lot of things bad about that moment. Even though it does fit into the story, uh, do, did we need Ramsey to go that direction? Uh, you make a lot of changes from book to show. Could that have been changed? Uh, could they have just done it another way and been a little more sensitive uh, of the times? I don't know. I also think it's uh, something to say to stand uh, true to what the story is telling again though that scene was different in the books in a in a, in a di different character involved so that episode is interesting to look at and and this is why we have those discussions about our favorite little tiny moments because everything every everything looks every every focus is on sansa at the end of that and, and the horrific events that happen and how it affect us both just as viewers of the show and as people outside of the show just watching tough to see like i said at best but the earlier moments with Sansa, I think uh, she does find some strength. And I do love that moment with Miranda. Miranda is a, an interesting character. I actually do like this little side character. And uh, I love, you want to talk about fun moments, I love when they toss Miranda over the balcony and she lands with that pretty satisfying thud. She was a crazy person as well. Just an absolute screws loose. And that's why she's perfect for Ramsey. What a couple they make. Um, but you have to feel sorry for Miranda. She was, I think, uh, born in the situation. 
um, the dog, the dog keeper's daughter, which, you know, just, there's a lot of bad things in that mind. But unlike Steve and Cersei Lannister, I have more sympathy for Cersei Lannister. Miranda, uh, Miranda was, uh, had, had a screw loose and I love Sansa standing up for herself in this moment. You're absolutely right, Eric. It's a good moment for Sansa, which is why coming out of season four, this is why I think the end of that episode is, is understandably so bad because coming out of season four, uh, Sansa seemed to have found her footing. And then she loses again. She takes a step back. But it, in this little moment, it's another character-building moment, which is why we talk about these little moments. Sansa finds herself, stands up for herself, and reminds herself that she is Sansa Stark of Winterfell. She gets, uh, she gets uh, you know, uh, the story takes her in a bad direction. She's off her feet again, I think, in season seven. She starts to find it again, which is, again, why some people had some issues with her and Arya fighting. At what point did they stop really fighting? And what part was it part of a, a game to get rid of Baelish? I don't know. We'll figure that out. I think I really have to dig in and watch that season again, uh, which I haven't had a chance to since it was out. Even though I have the Blu-ray and DVD, I'm still waiting to watch Fire and Blood first. Then I'll go back and rewatch the seasons, uh, season seven episodes. That said, this moment, Sansa, Miranda... Sansa standing up for herself, I think it is a building, bro- building block for what is to come. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. So I'm trying to figure out when Melisandre will reappear with the essentially what I'm calling the Red Army uh, versus the Golden Company. And does the Golden Company ambush Melisandre on the way in? So let's just keep the math simple. Let's say she's bringing 10,000 people over, but only 2,000 make it because the Golden Company and Euron managed to sink that part of the fleet. Um and uh, it looks like it might happen around episode two, based on my particular timeline that I described before. When do you think Melisandre is going to show up, and do you think she's going to have any problems uh, getting there? And about how many people do you think she'll bring over? Thanks. Kevin Cullen about Melisandre and her season eight plans. What's her plan of attack, and what is she uh, bringing over with her? And Kevin's talking about his theory that Melisandre is involved in the end of this series and it might have something to do with the other red priests and priestesses from their religion, Relor be blessed, right? Or maybe it's Relor be burned. I don't know. Um, I think Melisandre has something to do. She said she's coming back. She said she's going to die here. So is she bringing an army of people? Is she bringing an army of converts? Is she just bringing a couple red priests, like a SEAL Team 6 of, of red priests and priestesses to come over and fight the Night King? Or does she come over? And really confirm for Jon Snow that, yep, you are Zora High Reborn. Is that the first time we really see her dive into that prophecy and use all the terms that we, we book, leader, book readers or, or uh, really uh, lore-obsessed Game of Thrones fans uh, know? The Lightbringer, Nisa Nisa, and all these things that we know are factoring into this story and in this prophecy, and whether it's Jon or Danny, uh, maybe that's what Melisandre comes back for, to say, yep, here it is, you're the one. Congratulations, John. See ya. I'm dead. I don't know. But when does that happen? When does she factor back in? I hope early. I hope Melisandre is there. Chris Van Houten is great in this role. Uh, intriguing and interesting to watch. So I want her uh, there. I know she, she going to pick up a sword and fight. I don't know. But she might have other powers and other ways to get involved. Returning with an army or not. I don't know. But episode two might be a good spot for her to come back. And I don't know your timeline, Kevin, but I can see that. And if there's a big battle in episode three, a big battle in episode five, which is what we're looking at when we're talking about the directors who are directing in these particular episodes in uh, season uh, eight, uh, I think 
two or three or, or, or two would be my big bet. I think you're right there. That's fair. Unless she returns at the end of one and um, has uh, some big words, a big, a big message for Jon Snow. Oh, I like your new girlfriend, Danny. Guess what? You're related. Guess what? You're Azora High. Guess what? Maybe you're both Azora High. Guess what? Get on a dragon, John. Maybe that's her purpose in season eight. I don't know. Where do you guys see Melisandre fitting into the story? What will she do? Let us know here on Daily Thrones. Ken, I really like what you said about uh, how we need to brace ourselves for uh, what may come. Because uh, like you, I have been, uh, you know... I enjoyed The Last Jedi. You were mentioning The Last Jedi. I've uh, watched all you guys over at Collider Video talk about it, what your thoughts were, your problems, and all that jazz. And I've been kind of seeing the hate and see it rise. And so my only conclusion when it comes to what we're in store for in Season 8 of Game of Thrones is it's not going to please a lot of people. It's probably not going to please the majority, because however it ends is certainly just not going to be good enough. We've learned that in fandom. That seems to be the case. Are you worried that it's just going to be universally panned? Completely? Yeah, Mark, I am worried that the end of Game of Thrones is going to be universally panned. Only because it just seems that's the way a lot of fandoms are going. Whether it be Marvel, DC, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, we've seen it before... I just think it's going to be so tough, and then I feel there just might be a bandwagon to jump on how bad it is. I don't know what that could mean. What does everyone want? What are the expectations? Speculation and theorizing is completely fine in fandom. It's part of the fun. It's what we do here sometimes on Daily Thrones. But as you guys have heard me say, I'm not big on theories and speculation. I love hearing other ones and interpreting interpreting them and figuring out if they if belong. I just don't have a lot. I, I don't watch in that way i watch to to react and go into what i've seen not predict what i might see might might see but that is fun and that's something we're going to continue to do here in daily thrones and something we do in in our star wars fandoms as well and all the shows i'm involved with but i i think the last jedi did for me really drive home the point that expectations and i've talked about this a lot uh, especially over in the star wars side of things our own expectations, our little head cannons and fan fictions that we build up that you cannot help but build up, and they're fun to build up. We sometimes hold on to them too hard, and we dig in our heels, and that is what we want, and we don't get it. We don't feel satisfied based on what we felt. It's just the way of it. It's it's about how hard do you hold on to those expectations after you see it, and I just think the end of Game of Thrones... I'm coming off a bad week as a Star Wars uh, pundit, being attacked online, having to fend, getting into, losing my cool and getting into arguments. Never a good thing on the internet. Um, I'm just a little burned right now. I'm almost afraid of that final episode and that final season of Game of Thrones, but can't wait till it gets there. I'm Ken Napsuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. And if we're talking about favorite scenes and moments in season five, I have to look at Hard Home, the episode itself. Just one of the best ones in the series. Miguel Sapochnik directs it. He's back for eight with good reason. What he pulled off in Hard Home was impressive, most impressive. There is a lot of things before the battle that I think sometimes can get forgotten, lost in the shuffle, lost in the gloriousness that is the 
battle at Hardhome. Cersei Lannister in the prison cell, the whole thing with her being thirsty, all this stuff. It's some Lena Headey's best work. It's it's a low point for that Cersei Lannister character, but it, it's it's pretty impressive. I'm going to say impressive again and again. Um, I love what's going on there. That is a great moment. We can talk more about that. And if that's one of your favorite moments, Cersei in the, in the cell, uh, her, her thirst versus the uh, desire to confess, which which is which comes into play. It's, it's a great moment. You can talk about it, Colin. But I do want to talk about Hard Home. And now, when I talk about favorite scenes and moments, I I'm trying to get away from the big epic moments. I want to I want to talk about the smaller moments, as you guys know. Hardhome has so many epic moments. Jon Snow learning the power of his sword. Uh, the Night King staring down at him. It's a small moment, but it's it's big. And and Night King with his uh, famous, infamous, come at me bro moment at the end of the show are impressive. And the battle itself was amazing. I've talked a lot about the dogs barking. It's one of my favorite moments in the show in terms of just being a very chilling moment. Because you know something's going on. You kind of the thing about the the White Walkers and the Army of the Dead that I think plays really well in the show is that you, you always seem to forget about them. Now now in season seven it's front and center. I mean the Night King was in all the advertisements for the season, so you know he's around every corner. By the end of season six, you kind of see what's happening. Hold the door. That episode, uh, the door kind of confirms that uh, you know the Night King is a player. He is front and center. But even season five, even Hardhome. We know what's going on. We we've we but but we kind of forget. And and when you land on Hard Home, the show does such a good job of John Tormund, the Wildings. You kind of forget, and so that dog barking moment is one of the most chilling moments because you're like, uh oh, something is coming. But I love the moments before that. I love Tormund and Lord of Bones. I love that confrontation. I love Tormund making. What I consider to be the full transition there to John's side. I think he was still suspicious. He still had his free folk, um, you know, standards to hold up to. And he always does. He is very true to himself. But I think in that moment, it wasn't that he killed the Lord of Bones for John Snow. He did it for the people. But he also know that, knows at that point that John Snow is for his people. And I think that is an important moment in the life and times of Tormund Giantspade. Then uh, Jon Snow facing all of the leaders of the Free Folk who, who are there at uh, Hardhome. And him becoming, again, this big giant step towards being the leader that he is. It is uh, comes down to this moment. And that's a brave moment. It's one of my favorite moments for him because, you know, he, he is tremendously... Brave facing off these guys, and and um, and of course, uh, gals. Carsey's there, uh, one of the free folk leaders, because he could have been killed. Uh, it doesn't matter how many Night's Watchmen were with him, how many, uh, uh, how, how strong that Valyrian sword is. It doesn't matter. Jon Snow could have been killed by those free folk the moment he set foot on that uh, on that shore. But they know something's going on, and I just I like it. I like when he stands and faces them. And makes uh, you know he does, it's not a big ran, rounding uh, you know big rousing speech. It's it's small talk. He even admits he killed Mance Raider. When Tormund stands up for him, it is uh, proof that Tormund is fully, fully on Jon Snow's side. They have formed a bond, and Tormund, I think, means it when he says early on in the series, "I love you, boy, but I'll rip your guts out." You know, great moment, love it. 
Hard Home is full of big, over-the-top action, big, giant, impressive, epic moments. You can throw all your fancy critic words at it, but it's the little moments that I think make that episode work just as well. You're focused on these little tensions, and then the dogs start barking, and you're set for something special. What are your favorite moments inside the Hard Home battle or the episodes, season five in general? Let me know here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken. So um, with Melisandre, uh, you know, I do think she's going to come back. I think it probably will be earlier, so sooner rather than later. I do think she's going to bring more priestesses and priests with her. But my, my big question about the whole thing actually is, if she runs into him, what will Davos do? He, he promised her, he said to her, if I, you know, if I, you ever come this way, if I ever see you again, I will execute you myself. Do you think if he sees you, like, you know, he would he would try to kill her, or do you think, you know, maybe the John or whoever would convince him, you know, we need these priestesses, we need these priests, you you know, with this with what we're facing, you can't, you know, you just, I just can't let you kill her. I think that would be a very very interesting scenario, if if Davos is in fact reunited with Melisandre. We've been talking uh, this week and in the uh, past weeks as well about Melisandre's return in season eight. She has promised this. She has said she'd be back. She's told Arya they shall meet again. She's told Varys, hey, you're going to die here. I'm going to die here. That's the way it's going to be. You kind of have to believe her at some point. She's pulled off some pretty miraculous things via her dark magic. Uh, but she also has failed. She's also admitted that she faked some of it. It's one of the questions here. Some of our Long-time listeners uh, like Kevin have uh, a great theory that she's going to come back and bring other red priests and priestesses with her to maybe factor into the end. But Eric brings up a good point. And uh, I think we've talked about it before. And as we race towards season eight, eight when we get real close to season eight, I think this is going to have to come up again. When Davos sees her and Jon Snow, for that matter, made it pretty clear. Don't come back here. We'll kill you. That's the deal. And Davos is basically, I'm paraphrasing this all, of course. Davos is basically like, and I'm going to be the one to do it. Don't you worry about it. I promise you. And he has good reason. Uh, and I think it would be justified. But if Melisandre returns and she has a part to play in the end game, is Davos the man that would kill her? Would he be that type to go through that knowing that if he knows, I should say, if he knows she has some power, she's brought some advantage to this war for the dawn, will Davos back off? Is he, is he smart enough to do that? I, I think he is. I think he's got that kind of brain, and Jon Snow has got that kind of brain. Now, Jon Snow has proven, uh, just as Janos Slint and Alistair Thorne and Ollie and all the rest of the Unites Watchmen that were against him, Jon Snow will keep to his promises and if he says you come back i execute you i believe Jon snow would he's got that streak in him right from uh well not his father anymore but ned stark so uh it's a good question i think if melisandre's smart and she is she comes back and says hello by the way before you kill me here's what i got and i think then at that point john and davos will be smart enough to see what's going on if john is willing to parlay with Cersei, to uh, bend the knee before Danny, to reach out to anyone who will listen, because it's more important to defeat the Night King and his army, I think Jon will see fit to let Melisandre back into the fold. Davos, it'd be a bitter pill for him to swallow, but I actually think Davos is the type of guy that would do it. 
Davos is a take one for the team kind of guy. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. Since we've been going over the uh, our littlest and favorite moments from the previous season, let's let's change it up a little bit and let's speculate what we would like to see as little moments in season eight. We know we're going to we're going to get big army battles either in three and five. Uh, we know we're going to get some big political upheavals and changes, right? The moment essentially the Night King took out uh, Viserion, this story has been on rails. The wall comes down, the flood of undead come through, right? Big changes are going to happen. Uh, we know King's Landing is going to get destroyed. Uh, there's a good chance Winterfell gets destroyed. But what little moments do you want to see in this story? that take place? What secondary and tertiary th- uh, uh, plot threads do we want to see wrapped up? Thanks. Great thoughts, Stutter Kevin, about looking towards season eight and wondering or predicting or theorizing, which can get dangerous in fandom, Last Jedi has taught us, about what little moments could we see in season eight? What do you want to see? And for me, you know, it's a great question. We're going to probably keep coming back to it. Um, going off the top of my head here tonight, I would say it would be a little moment between Jorah and Danny that really wraps up that story. We definitely got some stuff in season seven. Jorah returns. Uh, he and Danny uh, have a tender hug. I think she welcomes him with open arms. It is great. It's satisfying. And he goes off north of the wall. That, I swore Jorah was going to die. The fact that he didn't. The fact that he's still there. That he's still fighting. I can see him going in this fight. I can still see him going with some giant sacrifice to help Danny. But I'd like to have him and Danny have one sweet moment. So it ends on a good note. And not this unrequited, ugly situation with... Jorah's love for Danny, just that it's all worked out, that he's happy for, that he gets it, and that, you know, that might may or may not include being happy for her and John. Uh, but we'll see. I'd like that. And if we're talking about a fun light moment, Tormund and Bran. At the end of this all, when the fighting's all done and the Night King's destroyed and the kingdom is saved, Bran returning a glance, returning a longing stare at Tormund. That's a little moment I could be happy with. What's the little moment you want in Season 8? What's your favorite moment from Season 5? Keep calling in here on Daily Thrones. I was finally able to watch Conquest and Rebellion last night. This is the about 45-minute bonus disc that comes with the Season 7 Blu-ray package. And it is pretty fascinating stuff. Now, a lot of this is stuff that uh, any Game of Thrones fan who's been around the block at least once will have heard. It's the histories of of Westeros, the history of the houses. It's the history of Aegon's conquest. But it has a little bit more, and it's told over... um, you know, a few phases, few chapters with the actors portraying the characters Viserys, Varys, Baelish, Jamie Lannister, even Sophie Turner, Sansa Stark pops up there. And it's pretty fascinating. It is also a great refresher course for Game of Thrones fans who love the history and lore and love memorizing and learning the history as if it's real history, which sometimes can get confusing for your soul when you know more about the history of the seven houses of Westeros <laughs> versus your own country's history. But hey, we press on as a fandom. Uh, so I highly recommend it if you guys haven't had a chance. Uh, like I said, it's a refresher. A lot of stuff stuff we've known, but it's good to have it in this clear, concise format. It's in front of you. Um, you get to take it in, and it's, and it's pretty compelling. It makes me think as I was watching. I was like, gosh, could they have just turned this into a miniseries? 
Again, we know this stuff. Uh, if you're uh, not even a hardcore Game of Thrones fan, again, if you just paid a little bit of attention, you have just enough interest in some of this history of the of the world of Westeros and Essos. You know these names. You know these stories. You know Lauren Lannister. You know uh, Heron Horde. You know uh, House Gardner. You know Argilac. You know all these uh, things. Oris Baratheon. Uh, one of my favorite names in Game of Thrones, Oris Baratheon. So you know it all, but it's there, and so in a very compelling way that kind of lets you relive it. So I was thinking, gosh, could this have been a great miniseries? Maybe it still can. Mm, I'm saying most casual Game of Thrones fans don't know this history, but they, I think they'd be interested by it. Yeah, they'd be entertained by it. And uh, so I still wonder... Could this work as a miniseries? Not so much the a spin-off or sequel or prequel series, but like an actual event. Seven-part miniseries of the Conquest. Could be kind of fun. Could be kind of uh, a different take on how to tell a Game of Thrones story. A vibrant, violent history lesson. Anyways, check it out, Conquest and Rebellion. If you can't get a hold of it, I'm sure it'll be available somewhere. It'll be on some YouTube site, uh, YouTube uh, uh, page that we shouldn't be watching, right? But it'll be up there. Uh, check it out. Let me know what you think. We're continuing our conversation about what little moments we love. I'm in Season 5, wrapping up my look at Season 5. We're also asking about what little moments would you want to see in season eight a lot going on here even during the holidays here on daily thrones hey ken a really great question by kevin and the, the little moment that i really want to happen so you know i've talked about it when you know benjamin stark when he died the first, my first viewing i was a little upset but then my second viewing i was okay with it i think it's a very fitting death now the moment i wanted season eight i just and i've said this before i just want an acknowledgement when Bran and John reunite, which we know they're going to reunite, and I think that's going to happen probably in episode one. I just want Benjamin Coldhands acknowledged. You know, I just want Bran to say to John, you know, I saw Uncle Benjamin save you, and guess, you know, he also saved me. He brought me to the wall. Again, I don't think that's too much to ask. It's just, just a little acknowledgement that he saved them both. All right, Eric, I'm on board with what you're saying here. I love Benjamin Stark. I think it's a great character. I, I love the ending. I love the bookend um, uh, of, of his characters, his, his beginning with the show and his end. It's, it's, it's similar. It's, uh, I love the little uh, him running in and on his horse. In, uh, the first time you see him, he's running on his horse. John's swinging his sword, violently practicing. And then the last time we see him, he's running in on his horse. Jon Snow is wildly swinging his sword, sword fighting the White Walkers and the, and the Whites. Uh, I love it. It's a little poetry, a little uh, full circle there. So to have Jon and Bran have a little conversation about their uncle, it'll be interesting. We'll compare some notes. Maybe Bran can give Jon the whole story. I think Jon has some other things to learn from Bran that might be just as important. But hey, if he can work that into the conversation. Your new girlfriend's also kind of your aunt. Um, you're uh, also, by the way, a Targaryen. Her name's Aegon. And, hey, Uncle Benjamin was pretty cool. Did you see him? I saw him, too. A lot of fun. It could, could be interesting, though. It'd be one of those little uh, dangling participles we'd love to see on the show uh, as we wrap up in Season 8. What do you guys have out there for your favorite little moments that you're looking forward to? Little predictions, little speculations, little theories. But in Season 8, what little moments do you want? Hidden in the big, giant, epic things we're no doubt going to get. 
I want to close my look at season five's best little moments, the little scenes that I love that build the characters and build the stories in. Season five closes with some big moments, some epic stuff, some uh, kind of hard to watch stuff with Cersei's walk of atonement. It's, it's brutal in a, in a way we hadn't seen on the show. It's a, it's a bare intimate brutality there. The final two episodes have three of my favorite moments in episode nine, The Dance of Dragons. Has Danny flying off on a dragon, right? It's a great moment. Big moment. It's one of my favorite giant, big, epic moments in the show. But in it is a little moment from my man, Sir Jorah. In the fighting pits, he wins. Daenerys is stunned. And Ian Glenn, Sir Jorah Mormont, gives this little tiny look, grabs a spear and throws. And for a second, I thought, he couldn't be throwing it at death. Oh, no, he's saving her. The sons of the harpy have attacked. It is this wonderful little moment, the great acting of Ian Glenn. He is so good as Mormont. Going back to the moment of uh, when they take uh, Yunkai and she's more concerned about Dario. We talked about that moment. There's these little things, these little... Uh, when he stands before Danny, she sends him away in season six. It is... It's painful, those little moments. He's so good. He's so good. And this moment, it's a, it's a great Sir Jorah moment. He's there to save the day. He's done everything he can to get back to Danny. To prove his worth, to prove that he loves her and cares for her in many, many ways. And I love that little look, that spear throw. <sighs> Poor his door so low act out. Didn't survive. That's all right. <laughs> the other moments I love Episode 10, Mother's Mercy. It is all about Cersei's walk of atonement. But before that, she loses one of her reasons for living, one of the reasons that she. Uh, has any kind of anchor on sanity at times, and that is Marcella dying. It is a beautiful moment for Jamie Lannister until it isn't a beautiful moment, until his daughter, Denise, <laughs> dies in front of him. It is, uh, when you put down the story of Jamie Lannister, this will be one of those moments you look back and say, this was his character uh, having, uh, having a moment of peace with uh, all the emotions that often rage inside Jamie Lannister. All the confusion, frustration, anger. Uh, of all that, he can't be a father. And you get a sense that he would be a good father, unlike Robert Baratheon, unlike Tywin Lannister. But he can't. Understandably, for a lot of reasons, but he can't. And it is that moment where Marcella's kind of like, I always, I always knew. He went down and saved his daughter. That's pretty heroic. Whether you you like the Dorn storyline or not, I understand if you don't. But for me, that moment, there's a relief over Jamie. It comes across his face. It comes across his very being when she accepts him as who she is. It's a little bit of a victory for Jamie. That storm that rages inside him. It's a quiet storm, but it's a storm nonetheless. It's at peace for just a second, and then it's gone. Typical Game of Thrones fashion. Blood pours from her uh, nose. Marcella is poisoned. I didn't believe it at the time, but it makes too much sense. The final moment, of course, Cersei's walk of atonement. Like I said, there's an intimate brutality to it that is it is unlike anything else in the show, uh, I think. Um, and it is the thing at the end. 
It's that look. It's one of those great Cersei looks. Everyone knows it. She finally reaches safety. She reaches Kyburn, who introduces her to her new Queen's Guard, or the new member of the King's Guard, technically. We know him as Robert Strong, but quickly we realize he is Zombie Mountain. And she's in his arms. Kyburn's there. And Cersei gets that look. Oh, she gets that look. It's no surprise that that look turns into the final episode of season six, Winds of Winter, Her Revenge, and that sip of wine, another great look, another great Cersei moment. But when you go back and finish out season five, you see her face go from terror, pain, suffering, fear, to determination. Cersei Lannister is on the warpath to seek her vengeance. It's a great moment. What are your favorite moments from Season 6? Let me know. Call in here on Daily Thrones. Let's start talking Season 6 here on Daily Thrones. It's your quick look at the world of ice and fire and the small moments building up in Season 6. We got a lot to choose from. Season 6 had many, many great things to choose from. Big moments. The things that really build the show. Some big question marks as all these kind of later seasons have as they go off the path of the books to try to get back on the path to wrap it all up. But let's start taking a look at season six. Aiken, uh, first of all, loved everything you guys did at the Schmodown over at Collider. You guys just keep getting better and better every single year. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So, you know, bravo to everyone for that. Uh, you mentioned favorite moments of season six. Well, Maybe I'll just uh, jump right in and say I think uh, the most obvious one is the resurrection, if you will, of Jon Snow. We knew it was coming. I mean, it was just, it was written on the walls. We, But at the same time, did we really know it was coming? I mean, how do you progress forward? And yes, the leaked pictures would say otherwise. But still, there's that moment of uncertainty with Melisandre on whether or not she can do it. She tries it, nothing happens, and then boom. There he is. All right, Mark, talking about the beginning of Season 6 and Jon Snow's return. And some nice comments, Mark, about the movie trivia Schmodown over on Collider Video. The Schmodown Spectacular 2 uh, out this week. Uh, Fun movie trivia, competitive movie trivia, if you like that. If you're not familiar with it, head on over to Collider Video. Check that out. Thanks, Mark, for the kind words. But you're talking about Jon Snow's return. Was it in doubt? Now, the great thing about Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire is any death, number one, should be questioned if you don't see it, Stannis, and it should be uh, questioned uh, about how permanent that character is supposed to be anyways, meaning I I think there was a 2% chance Jon Snow actually was dead, right? For some reason, I believe it more in the books. The way it went down in the books. But in the show, yeah, you know, we, 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 we had to believe he's coming back. Those leaks, and you talked about it, Mark, those leaks, those damn leaks, man. Leaks going into season seven, leaks going into six. I know they're trying so hard to keep leaks from uh, sneaking out going into uh, season eight. Amelia Clark saying that they're really tighten, uh, tightening down on the social media a use of all the cast members are trying really, really hard, and I, and they should because the reveal, the return of Jon Snow was never really questioned once you kind of saw some of the pictures and you saw some stuff from the Battle of the Bastards and all that stuff started to fly on out. But let's talk about those actual moments. Now, season six wasn't my favorite beginning. It started slow. Now, the actual beginning, 
camera kind of flying over Castle Black. Davos pops out. It's it's kind of uh, you know the morning after John gets killed. I don't know how long John how long John had been there. Uh, I love that scene. I love how it starts. But there's some stuff that it just it's, the Game of Thrones seasons can start a little slow sometimes. It's the setup, and that I thought was a little bit what's going on here. Season six took a little bit for, to get going for me, but the good good moments. I like it's a pair of moments, Mark, for me. It is Melisandre being revealed to be a 400-old crone. I love that moment. It's not uh, it's not this uh, dialogue-heavy character moment, but it is. Uh, there's a lot there. And Chris Van Houten does a great job with her eyes in that scene, telling the story of, of someone who was wrecked with doubt and failure. Kind of like Luke Skywalker on an island, right? And Melisandre takes that jewelry off. Yeah, we've seen it off before, but I, I think in that bathtub, it either was a continuity air or just a, you know, the spell's still working. She can choose to bring it down or not. And and this glamour magic, I love it. I love that reveal. It was something a lot of people had thought, something I think I didn't want to face because I love Melisandre so much. But do I really love a 400-year-old crone? I guess I do. Uh, so I thought that was a wonderful reveal and tied in well to John's return. It was not surprising, and that's just some kind uh, sometimes what it's like. But it was a good moment, and I think you're right. John's return, the 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 the, the beats, the doubt, everyone walking on out, left with ghost on ghost, and you just kind of knew it was you like everyone in the room I was watching with was just kind of like leaning forward, like here we go. Here we go. Ghost is going to do it. Yay! And he's back. And I liked the gasp for air. Go to black. It's one of uh, the moments, I think, if we had, if the show had no spoilers, the show had no set leaks, and you just didn't know and you hadn't read the books, and you just were in a vacuum, I think that moment was pretty impactful. So season six starts with the return of Jon Snow, the doubt of Melisandre, chaos at Castle Black, Jamie Marcella, Dealing with that, Jamie after re- having to return to Cersei. Cersei Lannister, great moment there too on her face when she's like, Happy, they're back, my daughter, my brother lover. Oh no, something's wrong. Lena Hetty plays it so well. And that ties in, of course, I think, to even more of the end of the season. Those looks on Lena Hetty's face. Yeah, have to be. You have to be mindful of those Cersei looks because they might foretell your future. Uh, More look here at Season 6 and more about Game of Thrones. It's Daily Thrones, even through the holidays. We're here. Quick look at the world of ice and fire, just for you. One of my favorite things about Season 6 overall is that we're introduced to the past through Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven. It was a wonderful little uh, tool to share some history with us. And for history and lore buffs in Game of Thrones, this is something we were really excited about, intrigued, interested in. Uh, Dare I say, waiting for? Now, we know that this would eventually have dire consequences for one particular character, of course, but it was fun. At first, it was just kind of cute. Ah, oh, there's little Ned Stark. There's little Benjen. Ah, oh, Leanna's on the horse. Is that Hodor? He could speak. Wow. This, none of this is going to go bad. 
But the device used to look into the past really started to kick up a notch when we went to the Tower of Joy in Season 6, Episode 3, Oathbreaker. We got to see the fight between the legendary Sir Arthur Day and the Sword of the Morning and Eddard Ned Stark and his men. Changed slightly on the show, a little less on Dane's side. Um, we didn't get into uh, Gerald, Gerald Hightower and all that stuff. We didn't need to. We got to see this fight play out. And my favorite moment is kind of that look on Bran Stark's face when he realizes the truth of the situation. Howland Reed saved Ned Stark. Now, Ned's never lied about that. He'd be dead if not for Howland Reed, we'd heard. I don't think it was Ned that was telling this legend, but the legend grew that Ned defeated Sir Arthur Dane when really it was a knife in the back from Howland Reed. Something that speaks... uh, to levels of honor in the world of Westeros. Now, I think, hey, it's a fair fight, right? And uh, By fair fight, I mean anything's game. You're surviving. You're trying to survive. You're trying to defeat your opponent. So I look at Alan Reed and say, good move. It worked. But the look on Bran's face when he realizes that Ned Stark, his father, this legend that a lot of people looked up to might not have been what he had been advertised as. Now, that cuts deep for Bran. There's a lot of truth to that. And I think Ned still is who Ned is and always was and always will be in the minds and hearts of his friends and family and people. But it also talks about the brutality of the world, the truth of what's actually out there. I love the stories. We love Jamie talking about his first kill. Robert Baratheon talking about his first kill. There's all these things they don't tell you. They don't sing about that in the songs, Robert will say, about the the gruesomeness around these deaths. But to actually see Bran front and center learning this lesson about his father, did it lessen his view of his father? Did it make him just look at him in a more realistic light that sometimes happens as you grow up? You finally see your parents as as humans on this planet with you and not just your parents. It was a powerful moment, one I really like, and that's why I like these flashbacks in Season 6. It's an interesting device, of course, as it leads up to 7. I love it. It's fun. Now, is it a little disappointing because we'll never get the Roberts Rebellion in a full series? Yeah, sure, but that's why I like it. We know enough about Roberts Rebellion. I don't need a whole series to play out in front of me. Would I watch it? Of course. But I like what we get here. These little tasty tidbits going back in time to learn the truths. And a lot of those truths are not just for us to see. It is for Bran to see. And that that seems to have affected him. What are some of your favorite moments in Season 6? It's the holidays, but let's talk about it here on Daily Thrones. I'm Ken Apsock, and this is Daily Thrones. A quick look at the world of ice and fire, and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, indeed. It is Christmas Day, and I am broadcasting, still talking about Game of Thrones, still thinking about Game of Thrones. It's a year-round thing, and though we've been talking about our favorite scenes and moments in the past seasons as we look towards uh, Season 8, talking about Conquest and Rebellion, a lot of things. We talk about a lot of things here on Daily Thrones, 
I just wanted to kind of freeform here. Talk a little bit about Game of Thrones, the gift that keeps on giving. That's right. That is what I said. The gift that keeps on giving. Cheesy, yes. A little bit like a Tyrion Lannister joke? Maybe no. Maybe like a Grey Worm or Missande joke. It hit me the other day. I was talking to someone about uh, Game of Thrones, as I often do, off-air even. And uh, I, I, it really just suddenly hit me. 2019 is a long way away. Long ways away, my friends. This season eight, they're shooting it. We're going to start hearing stuff. We've already heard stuff, castings here and there. I just don't want to know. But at the same time, it, it suddenly became daunting to think we've got to wait. It's different, say, like a big movie, Star Wars. You know, all right, we got Solo in May, Episode 9 in 2019. I can wait through. There's a lot to get through. And that's when I realized, how am I going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to wait out this long winter? But that's the thing. Game of Thrones is this gift that keeps on giving. There's so much. There's so much to discuss, so much to break down, so much to have fun with. I think if you are uh, more on the casual side, I think now this is the time to really dive in. Read the books if you haven't. You have time between now and season eight to read the books, catch up. You won't be spoiled because <laughs> George R. R. Martin still is not done. Uh, I think really study the histories and lore. It definitely makes the show a little better. When you know the big picture. And some of it doesn't even directly factor into the show. Do you need to know the history of Hall when you see the scenes between Tywin and Arya in season two? No. But knowing the history of uh, Hall and Horde and Aegon's Conquest definitely adds to the little little nooks and crannies of the show that, that they do pay attention to. That is why, again, I think this is a gift that you can continue to unwrap. And if you're not into the books, you don't want to go into the books, it's too daunting, I think you can just study the histories and lore. Read those books. I highly recommend The World of Ice and Fire, uh, and then, which has an app that you can also get uh, that's kind of uh, an online, in-your-phone version of that book. But it's a lot fun, a lot more fun to read the, the, the book there. Then there's the theories and speculations. I think that sometimes I think I've learned a lesson here that those can be dangerous if you hold on to them too strong. Let the story and the show unfold in front of you. But those theories and speculations, I think, are the best in Game of Thrones because there are rewards for those who dig. I love that George R. Barton said a while ago, oh yeah, some of the fans have figured it out. They're smart. They've dug in. Which makes me think, uh, will he change some things? Maybe that's some of the delay in the books? I don't know, but that is a theory, and that is speculation. But yes, that is part of the fun, too, to dive in. Unwrap those theories. I'm not the best with them. I just like watching things unfold in front of me, then I see what it means after. Then I tie it into the story after, and I love just not being uh, not being ahead of the game. I want to be surprised and, and even caught off guard with this story, but I love hearing your guys' theories. Uh, and this this year, and I'll probably do an end-of-the-year kind of res- retrospective in January, but this year, you guys are the gift that keeps on giving here because your contributions to Daily Thrones are absolutely what makes this so fun to do daily, even here on a national holiday. And I, I want your guys' calls to come in. Take a little moment. Sneak away from your family. They'll understand. Call into Daily Thrones, and you can talk about Game of Thrones here on Christmas as well. You guys, you guys are the gift that keeps on giving with your theories, your speculations, uh, 
uh, Kevin's Plan B theory, which I think we're still we're still waiting to hear even more detail on Plan B from Kevin, uh, Eric, uh, Thomas Atal, uh, Mark calls in a lot. Vic calls in a lot. I'm gonna uh, you know so many names. You guys, thank you so much for contributing this past year on Daily Thrones. Let's keep going. Let's keep talking. Let's keep celebrating the world of ice and fire here. Daily Thrones on Anchor. Hey, Kevin Ross. Just realized, having some Christmas cheer, that Game of Thrones has never really celebrated a season, like a Christmas or a Thanksgiving or something along those lines. Um, we The closest we ever get are weddings, right? But we never see the populace dress up a town or, or do whatever. Um, do you think we'll get that at Winterfeld? Uh, basically all the lords getting together and having uh, one final meal before the Night King shows up. That's what I think happens in the Siege of Winterfell, but what do you think? Thanks. Late Christmas night, but Kevin brings up a good point. Is there a national holiday in Westeros? I don't think there really ever is. We have name days. We have wedding days, which are just as important as any national holiday would seem, but do we have a national holiday? And then do we need to create a national holiday? Ye old gift day. There. I created it. Hey, Ken. Uh, I just want to wish uh, you and everyone at Daily Thrones who celebrates it a very, very Merry Christmas. And I actually got a pretty cool gift. It's actually, it's a, for me, it's a belated Hanukkah gift. And I got that very cool I Drink and I Know Things t-shirt. Uh, I absolutely love it. The person who got it for me, of course, knows I love Game of Thrones. And they said they've never seen me in the shirt, so they figured I didn't have it, and they grabbed it for me. So I'm very appreciative of that. I'm definitely going to be wearing it. Uh, have you ever received a Game of Thrones gift that you absolutely love? I've received a few Game of Thrones gifts in my day, Eric, and uh, I got to say I, I enjoy all of them, whether they be a books, uh, the books, uh, uh, 3D maps, pop-up map books, uh, supplemental material, and uh, little tiny things. I have... Uh, a long claw letter opener that I absolutely love. I have the Hand of the King pen, which was a nice gift. Uh, I enjoy things like that. Um, I, I have a couple of shirts that have been gifted to me, but most of the time I just buy my own Game of Thrones shirts. Uh, I, I spoil myself with enough Game of Thrones merchandise, uh, including a very nice uh, map recently, some Game of Thrones art, a lot out there, but still... I'm waiting for that one Game of Thrones gift that just knocks my socks off. Hey, Ken. Merry Christmas. Hey, Ken. Merry Christmas. We just wanted to know what you think, in the spirit of the holiday, what gifts do you think Game of Thrones characters would give another Game of Thrones character, say, Jamie and Cersei or Sansa and Jon or something like that? Um, love to know what you think. Uh, hope you're having a great holiday and have a great day. Well, now there's an interesting question. What gifts would characters in Game of Thrones get for each other? Again, with no national holiday other than the ye old gift day that I've just created for them, what kind of gifts will they give each other? Gold? I mean, Jamie and Cersei, we don't want to talk about their gifts. Um, you know, we saw Jon Snow give Arya a gift, Needle. Uh, that seems like those are the type of gifts you get for each other uh uh wine uh some eel pie and some good armor 
Um, it seems like the simple things for the small folk, it's just a, a matter of keeping uh, alive and surviving. Maybe that's why they don't celebrate. They're just too worried about their bowls of brown and trying to get to the next day and get through uh, a long winter. So a good pelt, uh, some good food. And I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a sword and wine. That's what Game of Thrones is about. Now, of course, the greatest gift ever received was three dragon eggs uh, from Illyrio to Daenerys. If only he knew what that would eventually bring. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Hey, Ken. It's Vic. Merry Christmas to you and yours. I want to thank you for bringing us Daily Thrones. I've always been amazed by your consistency and dedication to this podcast. I know it's not easy to record with your schedule and stuff, but we really appreciate the great thing that you've built here. Also wanted to tell you that uh, one of the Christmas gifts I got this year was a George R.R. Martin short story called In the House of the Worm. Judging from the look of it, I don't think it takes place in the Game of Thrones world, but it seems to have some of those same themes and tropes. So wondering if you or any of the listeners have read this one, and if so, what they thought. And as an add-on, what are some other George R. R. Martin short stories that take place in the Game of Thrones world that I should check out while we wait for the new season? Thanks so much. Closing out my broadcast day here, late Christmas on the West Coast. Thanks to Vic for calling in. Uh, sounds like a great pickup for a Christmas gift of George R. R. Martin work. I, I have not read uh, his work outside of A Song of Ice and Fire, though he does have a lot of it. And as far as short stories, uh, his book uh, collection of short stories, Dangerous Women, I do believe has some stories that tie to Westeros and Essos and uh, the world that we love. Uh, but I could be mistaken. Someone out there can correct me. And, uh, of course, uh, if you haven't had a chance to dive into the Dunkin' Egg series, definitely do that as well, Vic. But uh, I think we're all just waiting for that next book. Still might be a while. But, hey, with uh, Season 8, not 2019, I think we have a perfect window for when's a winner to come on out. That's it for today. Thanks all for who tuned, uh, tuned in here on Christmas. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas. On to a new year. And Daily Thrones. Still in the holiday mode, but we have Game of Thrones to talk about. We always have Game of Thrones to talk about here on Daily Thrones. I was out and about today doing some post-Christmas shopping, and it was in a uh, collectible memorabilia candy store. And they had those Funko Legacy Game of Thrones figures there. Now, these are not the Funko Pops, but these are the actual 6-inch action, action figures. Uh, very similar to the Hasbro Black Series Star Wars line, which I collect the Star Wars a little like crazy. And Star Wars figures, um, they're always popular. Star Wars and action figures go hand in hand. But I think a lot uh, because of the legacy, of course, with Kenner and everything back in the day. Uh, and I actually don't have any of the Funko Legacy action figures. Uh, I, I have had many opportunities to get them, but they don't call to me. Uh, the Funko Pops do. A lot of other Game of Thrones merchandise does. And we talk about it a lot here uh, on Daily Thrones about your favorite Game of Thrones merchandise, merchandise you like. And I was looking at the figures, and I, I had the Daenerys Targaryen Season 2 outfit in my hand. And there was a Cal Drogo and a Jamie Lannister. And I thought, these are fairly priced. Maybe I'll pick them up. And then I didn't. 
which has been the case for, well, about five, six years since these figures have been out. And just got me wondering why figures, action figures, classic action figures, whether they're three and three quarters or six inch, don't really seem to work for Game of Thrones, much like the way they didn't work for Indiana Jones. I said that weird, didn't I? Indiana Jones. <laughs> Indiana Jones. When the figures uh, were released uh, by Kenner back in the day, they just never caught on. Uh, some great stories and theories as to why they never caught on, why it was just Star Wars. And, and it's uh, uh, it's also fun to watch out like Battlestar Galactica, Clash of the Titans, and all those type of uh, uh, early 80s and late 70s properties tried to catch that Star Wars figure wave, and it just didn't work. And great Netflix series out right now called The Toys That Made Us that goes into He-Man and G.I. Joe, Barbie, and Star Wars. Check it out if you get a chance. But... I wonder why they, it just doesn't seem to work for Game of Thrones. Because there'd be many, many characters to choose from, much like with the Funko Pops, where we feel we're not getting enough of the characters. I think uh, in Six Inch Line, there, there would be a lot of characters to have. And they did release a couple waves of the series. Uh, Tyrion, Ned Stark, Jon Snow, a couple Jon Snows, a couple Daenerys Targaryens, all that kind of stuff. But with all the little side characters that we all come to know and love in Game of Thrones, it would make sense that the, the action figure line will work, but it hasn't taken off. I don't know why. It's a post-Christmas, still stuffed with ham and pie uh, brain days that I'm having, and I just wanted to get this out there. Maybe you guys have some thoughts and theories on why an action figure line, a full line, hasn't caught on for Game of Thrones. Maybe one day it will. Maybe we can make it happen. Hey, Ken, so talking about season six, so the moment I loved was when Roose Bolton gets it, when Ramsey kills him, because I think Roose Bolton absolutely deserved it. So, you know, he's talking to Ramsey. You know, they, they just found out that uh, Ramsey's uh, little brother was born. You know, Ramsey gets up, he hugs him, and then he stabs him, like, right in the heart. Kind of, you know, kind of the same what death that that Bruce Bolton gave to Rob Stark at the Red Wedding. So in a way, I think it was very, very fitting. And not that I love Ramsey, but I was happy to see Bruce Bolton finally go. Eric talking about the death of Bruce Bolton, and that's actually what, uh, one of my favorite moments too, Eric. We think we think very much alike. It must be why we both love Stannis Baratheon at the same time, man. We just we just we just have a, a GOT brainwave connection. That Bruce Bolton death is interesting interesting to me because yeah, like you said, it's a bit of a bookend uh, when you talk about how he killed Rob Stark in, in the same manner. So there's some odd poetic justice, but then that poetic justice comes at the hand of Ramsey Bolton, of uh, arguably the worst, most evil, hated character through and through evil on the show. Even Joffrey, I think, uh, has been surpassed by Ramsey in just pure evilness. Um, you know, mitigating circumstances for each of them through their childhoods and upbringings, but Ramsey kind of went even farther than Joffrey, which is weird to say. So that moment's weird. There's, there's, and Roos is a character that I, I actually kind of liked and was, you know, season two when he's first really introduced, you kind of, uh, you, there's something about the guy you don't trust, but there's something about the guy that you like and he speaks some truths. And, uh, you know, he's, he seems to be a good ally for Rob Stark, and then it all goes south, of course. But so the, the Boltons are, are, are hated, and they're supposed to be hated, and they should be hated. And there's an odd history with them and the North and Winterfell and the Starks when you really look into it. 
but there's a couple moments on the show where you feel for them uh, or you feel for Ramsey. Um, and, and I think it's only for me, at least the only true moment where I had empathy for Ramsey or any kind of feelings, good feelings towards him was when Roos uh, tells him that he has been legitimized. He is not Ramsey Snow. He is Ramsey Bolton. And this is there's, some, there's a look in his face that just it's all he wanted. He just wanted to be a Bolton. He just wanted to make his father happy and buried beneath all this horrible evilness. That is what remains. And and it, and it and it's still it's still when I watch it, it's a great scene, and it's like you shouldn't be having these feelings for Ramsey. You should you should be like die, man, die. Um, but there's just something in that moment I feel for him. And then in the, by the same token, when when Roos is killed, uh, and so soon in season six, that kind of caught me by surprise, but it made sense. And it spurns Ramsey on as Ramsey's kind of the big bad for season six. It, it makes sense, but I had some sympathy for Roos. To go out that way, even though again it's perfectly poetic and it should be the case, and I didn't, I should have no uh, feelings of, of sadness for Roos to go. There's something about it about his son uncaged and and unhinged that I felt for Roos. But then if you read the story of how Ramsey came to be and what Roos did, he's a despicable person and deserved to get a knife in the gut from his weird maniacal evil son but there's those little twinges a little twinge of sympathy a little tinge of empathy with ramsey and uh that is what the show does so well the story takes your mind to places you didn't think you'd go and kevin ross uh happy holidays to the daily thrones community and while sipping on some uh, christmas cheer with the three cocktails it got me thinking about sam and what we're going to do with him uh, so it looks like Sam's going to reveal uh, the secret to uh, John and Brandon in episode one. And then, then I think at the end of episode one, he gets a raven to go to King's Landing, not to see Cersei, but to see Kyburn uh, and to bring the manuals with him because the Citadel will, will have known by now that Sam took the manuals. Uh, and then in episode two, Kyburn gives the big reveal that not only does they have the, the white in hand that had died in, at the meeting with Cersei, but they have the living white still functional from uh, season one. And that white, the living, the, the animated white, is, was what helped Kyburn animate the mountain. And they're working on a, on a practical scientific solution for the Night King. What do you think? Thanks. Well, that's a tough question, Kevin. What do I think? That theory is out there, but I love it. Because Kyburn is a mysterious character. Could he have taken the parts of the white from season one? This is the one that Alistair Thorne, the hand that he was supposed to run on down to King's Landing. And then we find out, hey, uh, it, it rotted. They didn't know how to keep it and it never got there. But that's never really been officially discussed on the show. So could Kyburn have uh, somehow early on before we even really meet him? Because remember, we meet him first up at Harrenhal. Uh, could somehow that arm have survived? He gotten into his uh, laboratory. Uh, he's always got some kind of skill. He's not a he's not a magician. He's not a dark wizard. He's just a very quizzical man. Um, so I I could see that theory. I don't I don't buy it. I don't believe it. But I do think you've touched upon something very interesting, Kevin. Which is what does Sam have to do in season eight? 
Samuel Tarley has a lot of knowledge now, literally, and uh, in his hands and in his head. So, yes, he's going to communicate to John who he really is, I think confirmed from Bran. They're going to connect the dots there, and then Sam does have knowledge. He has those those books he took from the Citadel and what to do with the coming threat of the Night King. A Sam and Kyburn team-up would be a team-up that I didn't think would happen, didn't think that I needed. But it turns out it's what I wanted all along. We'll see if that actually happens. Kyburn is a wonderful mystery and and, and uh, played so well on the show. And just I, I love I love Kyburn. I actually really do. He's a great side character. And Sam is is a uh, is a hero in his own right. So we'll see how that how they they factor in into the final big war with the Night King. Do you guys have any more crazy theories? What happened with all those whites? Can you reanimate uh, 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 the mountain just based off of a hand? I don't know. Fun theories. I'm back to normal broadcasting tomorrow. We're back uh, from my holiday travels, but glad to be talking to you guys here on the road about Game of Thrones on Daily Thrones, and we'll keep talking about our favorite scenes and moments from Season 6 as well. More calls, more fun as we race towards the new year here on Daily Thrones.